new series called Spaces, and um, I'm really excited about this series. It's a, it's something. Uh, it came a, uh, about as a quote that I had read, and Josh and I had spent some time praying about it um, last year. <clears throat> and uh, the quote came from Lewis Smedes from a book uh, by John Ortberg entitled "When the Game Is Over, It All Goes Back Into the Box." If you've not read that book, it's a really good book. Um, and a lot of stuff that I'm going to be speaking about over the next four weeks is going to be coming from there. But the idea of spaces, if you think about it, <clears throat> our life is defined by spaces. When you were conceived for nine months, you lived your life confined to a small space uh, right underneath your mother's heart um, in her womb. When you are born... Um, you cry for more space, so you get a bassinet, and then you move to a crib. And then from there, you move to a small room. And, you know, from there, it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. You go from cribs to full-size beds to queen-size beds to king-size. You go from smaller rooms to bigger rooms. And then uh, when you get older and wiser, wink, wink, you get a house payment and you get a, a small house with small rooms, and you dream about getting a bigger house with bigger rooms. And it's all about space. It's all about space. But really, I mean, it's just, it's just space. Your life is defined by space, your length of your life. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, my wife, it's just kind of a tradition in our household, uh, that at the beginning of the year, she gets a new calendar. Now, I don't buy calendars anymore. It's called computers. <clears throat> and they have calendars on them. But she still gets a calendar, and she buys it, and she puts it up. And in that calendar is 365 square little spaces. And of those 365 spaces, each one of those has a number on that space to tell you where you're at in the week and in the month and in the year. But really, it's all space. So in 2009, I, I, I'm going to fill those 365 spaces with sermons that I'm going to preach and people I'm going to eat lunch with and uh, endless meetings that I'm probably going to have. But I'm also going to fill those things with things that I don't write on my calendar. Spending time with my wife hanging out with my children and playing with them on the floor. Um, I'm going to spend uh, those spaces doing things, hopefully, that are kind to my neighbors. And hopefully I'm going to spend some of that time praying and spending time with God, but it's space. Lewis Smedes, in his quote, says this, Whatever I do, it has to fit inside one of those square spaces on my date book. I live one space at a time, one square at a time, the four lines that make up the box are the walls of time that organize my life. Each box has an invisible door that leads to the next square. As if by a silent stroke, the door opens, and I am pulled through as if by a magnet, sucked into the next square in the line. There I will fill again the time frame that seals me, fill it with the busyness just as I did the space before. As I get older, the squares, the spaces, seem to get smaller. And one day, I will walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. One of those squares, spaces, will be terminal. And I don't know which square it will be. If you're a guy and if you're average, 
Let me tell you how many spaces you're going to have on the calendar of your life. Probably about 26,643 days or spaces. That equals up to 73 years. If you're a lady, you get a little bit more spaces than us if you're average. Your spaces actually end up to about 28,835 spaces or about 79 years. If you're not careful... You're going to spend all of your time filling all of those spaces with stuff that many times won't be that important. And we think, well, 28,000, 26, that's a lot of spaces. But (laughs) the longer you go with this thing called life, you realize it's not that long, and we want more space. Many of us stress out about those upcoming spaces of 2009. We have worries and fears about the future. And when we look at our calendar, we get afraid. And let me tell you, maybe the reason why when you look at your calendar and you get scared and afraid is because Jesus isn't there. No, Jesus is there on one day of the week, on one space, but he doesn't really have the entire calendar. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the space on the calendar we call Sunday. Sunday. For most of us, Sunday consists of getting up, getting ready, going to a church, whether it meets in a school or whether it meets in a separate building, and singing songs and listening to somebody talk about Jesus. That's what our Sunday consists of. Um, as I was working through this, I just I was struggling because I had about 60 things I would like to share with you guys, and <laughs> time will not allow. And, uh, and I was talking to my wife. She says, why don't you share with them a verse out of Proverbs? Because I know this is your heart, and it is. So I just want to share with you this verse out of Proverbs. And it says this, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, Solomon is talking into his children's lives, and he says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And he says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. It's as if Solomon was sitting down with his kids at the kitchen table. And he pulled up a chair and he said, listen, let me tell you what's really important in life. Let me tell you how you can have a relationship with God that after the end of this year will be closer and not farther away. So if you would permit me, I would like to do that with you this morning. It, uh, we, we're not one-on-one. We're one-on-150. On but if I had my desire and I had my wish, I'd just like for you and I to just be able to spend some time over a table and just l- let us talk one-on-one like a friend to a friend. Let us just spend some time, and I would love to share with you my prayer and my desire for your life. My hope and my prayer. Not only for your life, though, but for mine as well. And it's at the beginning of that verse. It's all about the Lord. A fear, the reverence, a knowledge of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. My prayer for us as a church for 2009 is really simple. It's a prayer that the Lord had laid upon not only my heart, but our staff's heart um, months ago. And uh, what I'm praying for in 2009 for One Church isn't for more money. It isn't for really even more people. It isn't for buildings. It isn't for more staff or more programs. 
my prayer for us as a church in 2009 is simply this. That you and I would take responsibility of where we're at spiritually and move it to the next level when it comes to Jesus Christ. That you and I would grow in Jesus. That in the next 365 spaces on your calendar and in my calendar, that every day we would get closer to Jesus Christ and that we would grow spiritually with Him. That's my prayer. And I want to just share with you some things that, uh, because that's my biggest prayer for one church for this year, because many of you uh, have never been to church before, and over the past year, year and a half, it's like something's clicked, you've came, and you've began that relationship with Jesus. And we have a lot of uh, young people in here, and I say young, I'm not just talking about physical, but spiritual age, that we would grow up some, and that I would grow up some because I need to spiritually. And that we would just, um, that we would have that growing relationship that we talk about. Let me uh, share with you some ways that we're changing, not really changing some things, but we're doing some things uh, maybe a little bit differently in 2009 to see that. Just to, I'll start first in our sermon series. In 2009, we're going to be spending more time going through books of the Bible than we ever have. Uh, up to this point in one church's history, we've talked about Proverbs, we've talked about Colossians, we've talked about Galatians, we've talked about the book of Jonah. Uh, but for this year, we're going to be going through the book of Habakkuk. Some of y'all are going, bless you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we're going to be talking about that dude. We're going to be talking about a fellow by the name of Hosea. And we're going to be going, uh, going through the New Testament book of James. Not only that, we're going to be spending an entire series talking about Jesus being the Son of God and the impact that has for you and me. We're going to be looking at an entire series about a disciple and what it means to be a disciple, to be a really a follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he calls us to. Not Christians, but disciples. We're going to be spending one series that we're going to have a panel of people up here. And during the service, you're going to text us some questions. And we're going to answer those questions. Any questions you might have about the Bible or about um, life, there's going to be a lot of this. Uh, but it'll be fun, all right? Not only that, but in 2009, we're going to be spending more time getting people in community groups. We're going to be having more group links where people are fitting themselves into a group. We have one coming up in a couple of weeks. We're going to be having more starting points where people who know nothing or very little about the Bible can come and they can sign up out the hub and say, okay, this is what the Bible is all about. And they kind of piece, they get the big picture of the puzzle in their minds of where it's going. Uh, that's also uh, happening in, in, in two weeks. We're going to be uh, starting in February a new teaching environment on Sunday mornings in t at 1045 where you're going to learn how to study your Bible so that you can feed yourself. And then the principles that you've taken, that you've learned, you're going to go through a book. And uh, that's just the intermediary step between what we're doing in here and getting into a community group. Um, one that I'm really, really excited about. Um, we're praying uh, this year that we would be able to start an Internet campus. Let me explain to you what that is. That we're going to videotape what we do on Sunday mornings, the worship, the sermon, everything. And for us to be able to put those on the Internet so that people can watch them, not only people who live outside of Clarksville, but especially for our soldiers who are deployed. One of the things I've, I've, I've received a lot of 
said many of the soldiers are returning, is my wife has been going to one church for a year, and it's great for her, but I've never been there, and I've not experienced what she's experienced. So uh, there's kind of like an element of unknown there, and we tend to fear what we don't know. So we're trying to figure out ways that soldiers, not only living in Afghanistan and in Iraq, but also who are elsewhere, anywhere in the world, can go on the Internet and be able to experience what you experience here on Sunday morning so that you will be able to talk about spiritual things. Now, for that to happen, a lot of things have to take place. Um, a lot of things usually take money, but this is not a money sermon. I just want to let you know our mission here at One Church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're about, is reaching people, leading people, and growing people. And that's our goal for next year, growing. But here's the thing, though. We can't cause growth. You know what I'm talking about? We can't cause it. Have you ever planted a seed in the ground? Any of y'all? Anyone? Okay, two of you. Some of y'all need to get out more. All right? Um, if you plant a seed in the ground, you can't cause that seed to grow. You just can't. You can yell at it. Um, you, can, uh, you, know, you can play classical music by it if you're kind of those long-haired people. Um, whatever. All right? You, but you can't cause growth. I can't cause growth in you. There's only one person who can do that, that's the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, just like what we can do with a seed, we can create an environment where growth can happen. We want to create environments here at One Church where growth can happen. Uh, one of the environments that we've created is here. It's kind of a first step so that people can say, okay, this is what it means to come to church and to know God and to have a relationship with Him. Well, we can't cause growth, but we want to create environments, and that's what we're wanting to do. It's not even to start more programs, but it's to create environments where people can come and say, okay, that's how I can get closer to God. That's how it happens. Um, let me tell you another way people uh, tell me this all the time, and this one kind of bugs me, so don't ever tell me this. Um, some people come to one church from other churches and they say, you know what, my other church wasn't feeding me. I have a problem with that. Because if you left a church because it wasn't feeding you, that really doesn't tell me anything about your previous church, but it tells me a whole lot about you. Because if your idea of being fed is coming and you in, in, uh, have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ is only coming to that Sunday space on your calendar, let me tell you what I know about you. You're not growing. If your idea of having an intimate relationship with a holy God, a person, God is a person, only consists of, hey, I'm going to give you two hours on this space called Sunday, it's not going to happen for you. Because the responsibility of your spiritual growth isn't the pastors, it isn't the churches, it isn't a Sunday school class, it isn't the responsibility of growth isn't God's, it isn't God's fault, it isn't circumstances, it's yours. It, it rests with you. And hear me, if you think, well, you know what, I'm going to come and I'm going to hear to somebody talk about Jesus for 30 minutes and I'm going to magically grow like a flower. It's not going to happen. You're going to be a weed. Alright? So, I, I, my prayer is that we take responsibility for our spiritual growth for this year. That we would realize this. We would realize this. That growth, that growth 
happens. It happens through a regular occurrence of a different of spaces of time. Our big idea for today is this. And this is, by the way, this is not like a typical sermon, so I'm going to use a lot of scripture, so hang on. Our big idea is simply this, that having a growing relationship with Jesus Christ isn't about really knowing a lot but loving a lot. Because uh, I want to press down in our, in, our, in our mission statement about this. Because most churches, they, they, they think of it this way. And I've been, I went to a seminary that trained me this thing, that if you know more, you will be closer to God. If you know more Bible knowledge, then that will get you closer to God. And um, Jesus never said that. In fact, the, hear me on this. The people that knew the Bible best in Jesus' day are the ones that hated him the most and eventually killed him. Because it's not just about Bible knowledge. Now, for some of you who this is, you know, you're like first time back in church for years, that should make you feel great, wonderful. I don't know anything. So I can become spiritual? Yes, you can. Because it's not just about Bible knowledge. That you can know the Bible frontwards and backwards. You can know everything from table of contents to maps. You can know what the original language said and every Greek nuance of the word love and still go home and treat your spouse and your children like you hate them. Because it's not just about knowledge, because the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Jesus equates spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, and as our mission says, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. He equates it not in how much, how much we know, but by how much we love. By how we treat other people. By how we love God and love other people. That, that, that is, that's what it's all about with Jesus. Jesus never ever said, you know, if you memorize the book of Deuteronomy, you know, it's going to be good for you. He never even preached verse by verse through any book of the Bible. Did you know that? Now, does that mean we shouldn't do that? Of course not. But I'm just saying that Jesus is saying, listen, you want to know? In fact, let me just, I'm a, i got to get into this. Um, in John 13, 35, it says this. Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples if. Now, we're going to fill in that blank. But if you had to fill in your blank, if you didn't know that, maybe you've never heard this verse before. That's great. What would you fill the blank in there for? That people will know that you are followers of me. That's what a disciple is. If you go to church a lot, if you give a lot of money in the offering, if you know every book of the Bible, if you have them all memorized, what would you fill in there that, that people will know that you are my disciple? Let me tell you what Jesus filled in that blank with. This is what he said. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love. It's not just about how much you know. It is about how you treat people. So here at One Church, we define spiritual growth, our mission statement, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We define our mission statement that leading having a growing relationship, not in how much we know, but how we treat other people, our relationships. And we break it down into three vital relationships. Before I talk about those relationships, let me share with you another uh, scripture in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 22, 
says this in uh, verse 37. Some guys came to Jesus, these people who knew the Bible really, really well, and were trying to trap him because they wanted to kill him because they hated him. Case in point. Jesus replied. They asked, Teacher, which was the greatest commandment? If you would take all of the books of the Old Testament, 39 books, and if you'd tell me which one is the greatest, and if, they picked, if you picked one, then he'd say, See, you know, you're dissing God on me. That's right, I said dissing. All right. Matthew 22, 37 says this, and Jesus replies, You must, what is that? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. It says this, the first, This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus boils down the entire Old Testament, 39 books, into a statement. Love God, love people. Simple. Yet so many times we tend to take this simple message and we complicate it. So it's important for us, this is so important for us for us that's been in church for a long time because we have a tendency, well, if I know this and if I know this much, then I am spiritual. I am mature. I have a growing relationship. And I've got to be honest with you, I know more of the Bible today than I ever have. And yet some days I feel farther away from God than I ever have. Because it's not just about knowledge. It is about relationships. So what relationships are we talking about? Three relationships. We define a growing relationship with Jesus Christ when three relationships. Intimacy with God. Everybody say that. Intimacy with God. Community with insiders. Everybody say that. In influence with outsiders. Let's say that one. That we define spiritual maturity, having a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, not by knowledge, but by relationship. Because it's about relationships. Let's look at that first one. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. We find that in the Matthew 22 passage when he says this. Jesus replied, you must love. Everybody say the word love. I love that. Jesus says, you know, you want to know, he boils it down and he focuses, he says, you want to know what I'm interested in? You want to know what makes me, gets me really excited? You want to know how to get closer to me? You must have a loving relationship with God. Now, he, let me tell you what he didn't say. Jesus replied, you must respect the Lord your God. He didn't say that. He, he didn't even say, you must believe the Lord your God. He uses a very relational term, love. You know, there are a lot of people you're around that you don't have a loving relationship, if you know what I mean. I mean, you don't hang out with them and you're not intimate with them. At least some of you aren't. <laughs> All right. That was a joke. Um, so, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of relationships we have that's not characterized by intimacy or by love. But Jesus believed that you could have a relationship characterized by love with God. That God actually wants to have a relationship with you that's characterized by the word L-O-V-E, an intimate relationship. God created us for that relationship with Him. That's why we're here. That's why we are created. And here's the sad thing about this. Many of us already know this. 
Those who've been in church and you've been, you already know this. And we think that having an intimate relationship with God is just a Sunday morning thing. It's just this little space. If I told my wife, you know what, baby, I want to have an intimate relationship with you 30 minutes a week. I want to talk with you and communicate with you 30 minutes a week. What do you think my wife would do to me? Exactly. Some of y'all know my wife. Uh, There would be a beatdown. All right? It can't happen. And if you think your relationship with God is in this Sunday space, it's never going to happen. It's never going to be a growing relationship. It's just not going to be there. You see, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ spills over into Monday. That Sunday stuff spills over into Tuesday, and it spills over into Friday nights and where you spend your time. It spills over on the weekends. And not only spills over into your calendar days, it spills over into other relationships with coworkers and spouses and people who are above you in the workplace, people who are below you. It spills over. That's what an intimate relationship does. It spills over. I want to keep on reading. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Did you see that? The second is like it. The first one's important, but the second one is just as important. You're to love God and you're to love people. He boils it down to that right there. Love God, love people. And some of you think, well, I have a great relationship with God, but I hate my parents. I hate people in my life. You know what the Bible calls you? 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? You see, we can't have a great relationship here if we don't have a good relationship here. And that leads us to our, our second vital relationship. We have to have intimacy with God, but we must also have to have community with insiders. Let me explain that and unpack that a little bit. Insiders, inside what? Inside the faith, inside the church. We must get along with people inside the church. And that, for those who've been around the church world, can be a little bit more difficult. I've got to be honest with you, this is probably one I struggle with. Because, you know... When a, when a non a person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ flips me off, you know, I, I don't get usually angry. Because you know what? That's what they're supposed to do. They don't, they don't have any excuse. But when I've seen how Christians act, you know what I'm talking about? I've seen how Christians treat other people. I've been hurt by Christians in the church. And sometimes I have a hard time getting along with other Christians. In fact, um, the thing that struggles I struggle with about that is I expect more of them. But here's my problem. I'm a Christian, and God expects more of me, and so does other Christians, and I let other people down. I just got an email this past week about when we were going through the Galatians series, somebody who stopped coming to one church because they thought I was really slamming other churches. And that wasn't my intention at all. It was We were talking about religion, um, but it hurt me. Because I love the church, because Jesus loves the church. Sometimes I have problems with Christians, but they expected more of me, and I didn't deliver. So when I get mad at other Christians, I inadvertently start getting mad at me. 
because uh, I just don't measure up, and I still got mess in my life that God's trying to work through. So um, I should deal with other Christians with grace because I need grace. Um, I like how John 15 says it. This is my mechan- me- mechanic. Gotta love that. This is my mechanic. Uh, Jesus is talking to his closest friends, his disciples, kind of other Christians. He says this, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way. Everybody say the word in the same way. In the same way that I have loved you. Now, how did Jesus love them? Well, he loved them in spite of their faults. He loved Peter even though Peter was a constant failure, just like me. He loved Thomas even though Thomas was constantly doubting, just like me. He loved them and gave his life for them even though they were sinners and messed up, just like me. Jesus loved them in spite of their faults. And that's what we're to do with other people as well. So we desire for each and every one of you to have community with people inside this church, inside the faith, whatever you want to call it. But it's to get along with people in here. And we churches, we struggle with that one sometimes. We even struggle more with the next one. And the next vital relationship, our last one, is having influence with outsiders. Influence with outsiders. And let me explain just a little bit about that. And when I say outsiders, I'm saying people who are outside the faith or outside the church who don't go to church. It's not that they're not welcome. It's that they choose not to come. These are people who say, you know what, I'm, I, the church is not for me, and I would just rather not do that. I understand that. I've been that way. Um, we are called to love them and to have influence with them. We're called to spend time with them. You can't influence people who you don't hang out with. And this is where a lot of churches mess it up. I like how uh, Colossians 4, 5 says it like this. Be wise in the way you act toward those who are, what's that next word? Outside the the Christian faith. Make the most of your opportunities. Outside. You know, um, this means that you can't keep your Christianity to yourself anymore. The reason why we do church the way we do, you know, some of y'all, you know, I came from a traditional church and we want to do Sunday school and we want to do Sunday evening service and we want to do Wednesday evening service and then we want to do Tuesday night visitation. I'm not knocking any of that, but the reason why we do what we do here and we only do Sunday mornings is because Sunday mornings in a small group, some other night of the week, is because we don't want to fill up your time spending time with other, just other Christians. Because God has called us to influence people who are outside the faith. And if you're never hanging out with people outside the faith, then you're never ever going to influence them. You're never ever going to be able to do what Colossians 4 or 5 says. All right? So you can't keep Christianity to yourself. You have to let this Sunday space spill over into your Monday space, then your Tuesday space, and your Thursday space, and your Wednesday space, your Saturday. It all has to spill over, not only into those spaces, but into those relationships. I want to show you a clip of a fellow by the name of um, Penn Gillette. Y'all ever heard this dude? He is the more brash and loud version uh, of, of the team uh, 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 Penn and Teller, excuse me. And it's this comedy illusionist act. And he is an outspoken atheist. He does not believe in God. Um, and um, I got this clip off of YouTube, and he's talking about somebody who is trying to proselytize. And that's kind of a weird word. It literally means to just be able to share your faith. Somebody who's telling them about Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. It's a great clip. 
talking about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the for the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, because that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane and he cared enough about me to proselytize 
and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's real important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man that gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. The quote that I love so much out of that, he says this. If you believe that there's a heaven or hell and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate that person? You know, um, we say it's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ here. It's not about programs, buildings, money. It's not even about that. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And for some of you, you have that relationship. You have that relationship. But it's not just this relationship. It's this relationship. And it's the relationship with the people outside of these walls. That is the definition of spiritual growth. Spiritual maturity. It's loving God. Loving your neighbor. And loving people that disagree with you. The Bible says even to love your enemies. that we are to love everyone. So my encouragement, my prayer for me, because I need this, and for you, and I really believe you need this, is that we would take responsibility and grow in our relationship with God. That we would grow and get into community with people inside this fellowship. And that we would Spend time with people who do not know Jesus Christ. And that we would risk being socially awkward and risk our influence and be able to tell them about Jesus. Now, some of you, I can't tell people about Jesus Christ. I, don't, I mean, I know about Jesus, but I can't say it. You know what? Bring them here. I'm going to talk about Jesus every Sunday. It doesn't matter. Jesus saves. So bring them to somebody that knows about Jesus, that can talk to them about Jesus. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for this day. We thank you so much, Lord, that all of us have before us spaces. Spaces on a calendar that we have a Monday the 5th, a Tuesday the 6th, and we're going to fill those spaces with a lot of stuff. But are we going to fill them with you? Or are we just going to continue to make you and put you in that Sunday box? Put you in that one, and a, one hour and 15 minute time slot and check you off and say, I'm done. I'm good. God, 
doing any good. Lord, I pray that all of us, wherever we're at, that we would take that next step with you. If that means reading, that we would do that, read our Bible more. If that means praying, that we would do that. If that means getting into a communion group, that we would do that. If that means going to a starting point, then we would start. If that means going to that next step and learning how to read a Bible and understand it, that we would start. If that means getting into a group that we can have community with other people, that we would start. Or this is the time for new beginnings, and all of us need one. I do. My prayer personally, God, you've heard me say this, is I want to get closer to you this year. I want to spend more time with you on my mind than ever before. I want to spend more time in your word and telling other people about you. Because as a pastor, God, many times I'm surrounded by insiders. And I can have a great relationship with you and a great relationship with insiders, but if I don't get around people who are outside of this church, people who don't know you, then I am missing the mark. So, Lord, I pray that you would bring those relationships to the forefront of our mind and that we would focus on having that growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray.